You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Colossians. Here's Nate. Well, it's good to remember that in Colossians chapter 3, Paul is really applying the incredible doctrinal statements that he made in Colossians chapter 1 and 2. And in those two chapters, one of the main things that Paul tries to communicate to the Colossians is that they really don't need to turn to Gnosticism or any mystery religion or any rites and ceremonies, any asceticism or legalism or any additional requirements because their life is hidden with Christ in God. They've died with him, been buried with him, have risen with him and have ascended with him. They are absolutely victorious in him. In fact, in him are found all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And if there's a mystery that they need to cling to, it's simply this, the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And when he gets into Colossians chapter three, he begins to remind them. He says, listen, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In other words, Colossians, don't just remember heaven, do that, but remember that your life is actually wrapped up with Jesus who is in heaven. And so what we've seen so far in our study of Colossians chapter 3 is that Paul has told the Colossians to, therefore, as a result of that reality, since your identity is wrapped up with Jesus seated and enthroned in heaven, since that is the case, put to death, mostly sexual immorality, and put off like you would take off a garment, uh, anger and wrath and malice and various other uh, elements of the flesh. Now in verse 12, Paul then turns his attention to what the Colossian church should put on as believers. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I love this because Paul, once again, reminds the Colossians of two important things with his first phrase in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Before he tells them what to do, he reminds them in a fresh, short statement who they are. First of all, the simple phrase, put on then. He's reminding them that these attributes are not going to be found inside of them. They have to put on more and more every single day, Jesus Christ. They have to remember that their identity is wrapped up in him and just continue to clothe themselves uh, with Christ. This is part of what a daily uh, and regular prayer life is all about, and time in the Word is all about, and in church, and worship, and crying out to Him, service unto Him, you're putting on uh, Christ. So He says, put on, put on. Before He tells them what to put on, He also reminds them of three distinct things that they already are. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. First of all, think about that first reality that we are God's chosen ones. You know, some of this language has uh, similarities at 
least and uh, roots, perhaps, in some Old Testament language, the way that God spoke of the people of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 through 8 come to mind. The Lord spoke to the people of Israel. He said, you're holy to the Lord. You're his treasured possession. Not because you are more in number, but because the Lord loves you. And here Paul says to these Colossians, you are chosen by God. You are holy in God and you are beloved by God. And so just to think and to rejoice for a moment, the Colossians, before they were to put on these attributes, to rejoice over the reality that they had, number one, been chosen by God. Paul said in Ephesians 1 verse 4, he said, even as he, God, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. There is this choice that God has made. He has set his desires and his affections upon his people. And it's, you can't argue with the biblical statement that God has chosen his people. Now the error that so many make is a uh, double predestination kind of idea. It, you have to admit that any person that uh, believes upon the Lord is saved. They are chosen then by the Lord. And from our vantage point and perspective, I have to say, I don't know exactly what this means or how, I should say, this works. And I definitely don't understand why I would be chosen. But I think that God has stated it to us so that we might rejoice over that reality. So many of us have an identity that is wrapped up in rejection. I was not chosen by this person or that person. I was not chosen to have this talent or this ability. I was not chosen to look this way or to look that way. I was not chosen for that opportunity or that career. I was not chosen. But, but to remember that in the midst of all of that, however much of that may or may not be true, to remember that you have been chosen by God. And that is a cause for great rejoicing and celebration. But secondly, he reminds them, you're holy. You're holy. You're holy. Positionally holy before God. He's declared you as holy. He's declared you as righteous. But set apart purposefully uh, for the use of God. Uh, consecrated for his use. Like the instruments in the temple that were consecrated, made holy, so that the priests could use them in the worship of the Lord, so are we set apart for God's purposes and God's usefulness in this life. And then finally, he says to the Colossians, you are beloved, beloved or beloved. Just to think of that, that we are loved by the God of the universe. It's an awkward relationship in one sense with God because he is perfect and we are not. So if there is a flaw in our relationship well we know whose fault it is it's it's not his he's perfect he's pure but it is so kind of him to just love us so kind for him to set his affection upon us paul wants them to remember these realities before they put on through the power of christ these next attributes so all of that said verse 12 he says put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. We're to put on Christ. We're to put on his life, 
his attributes. Paul said in Romans 13 verse 14, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So we are to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. But the way we do it is through fellowship with him, putting on Christ. You know, if you long to have the compassionate heart of Jesus, you need to hang out with Jesus. You need to fellowship with Jesus. You need to, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.18, with an unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord Christ and be transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Let the Spirit of God change and transform you as you hang out with and spend time with Jesus. Now, sometimes I think we can gloss over lists like this. Oh yeah, it's nice to have a compassionate heart. It's nice to be kind. But let's think about these words for just a moment. First of all, putting on a compassionate heart. This, these two words have the idea in the original language of something that happens in the realm of the emotions, the bowels, the guts of a person. We might say uh, heart, but they would have said my bowels, my guts. It's a speak, it speaks of a tender-hearted mercy, a deep feeling of compassion and uh, sympathy. This is not just natural compassion, by the way. This is something that a Christian is uh, trying to put on more and more every single day. A brokenness over the world, a, a sorrow over mankind's spiritual condition, including our own. The gospel itself, Jesus Christ is absolutely compassionate. And, uh, you know, for me, I've found that I tend to think quite easily about myself, to be compassionate for myself, but I'm to set my mind upon others. I'm to give my time and my treasure away, break the power of that selfishness so that I might become selfish like Christ with a compassionate heart. He says also in verse 12 to be kind, kindness, put on kindness. And uh, for some reason in my mind, this doesn't sound like a very New Testament kind of word, kind or to be nice, but a Christian is called to be a kind person. Uh, we live in a culture where there is less kindness every single day, it seems. It's a brutal and harsh and unkind and self-serving kind of world that we live in. But we are to be a kind people. You know, we should be done with the days of Christians who show up to their element kids' elementary school on Monday and, you know, chew their teacher the, the teacher of their children to chew them out and to treat them, you know, poorly. We should treat everyone around us with great respect, with great kindness, with great concern. He says also to put on humility. And of course, Jesus is our model of humility. This wasn't a popular attribute, by the way, in Paul's day. Uh, it was something that a common slave would do. And of course, that's where we get our model for humility because Jesus became the slave of all in lowering himself, becoming flesh, dwelling among us. And oh, how the world needs more humility, more humility. If you want to grow in your humility and just a, an honesty about self, a couple of ways that I think of that 
you can grow in humility is number one to to study doctrine particularly the doctrines of original sin which show us how far we were from god and how our sin had separated us from him that we were dead spiritually in our trespasses and sins just think of that reality but secondly the attributes of god his holiness his power his immutability his knowledge to just know who he is from his word as you study him brings great humility regarding our own lives but also and additionally serve step out of your comfort zone and serve others it will humble you real fast he says also verse 12 meekness this is power under control i think one way you could put this is a willingness to suffer injury we spend so much time fighting for our rights but as paul said to the corinthians in first corinthians chapter 6 concerning their lawsuits that they had against one another he said why not rather suffer wrong why not rather be defrauded why not just go through a little bit of pain in order to identify with the sufferings of christ patience he also tells them to put on last attribute there in verse 12 just a long suffering yielding tolerant spirit the patience of christ and of course we think of jesus as he was arrested and betrayed and answering not a word and his attitude towards his disciples he was truly a patient man we love to have everything immediately but to be patient with our friends with our spouse with our children with our career with the victory of god working in our lives and the sanctification that we so desire to be patient to let god work in his perfect way in his perfect time now in verse 13 moving on he gives a couple of other things to add to our character to put on he says bearing verse 13 with one another and if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive now all of these attributes that paul is telling them to put to death or to put off or to conversely put on these are all attributes actually that are only effective within the context of the body of christ in other words paul is thinking of the overall church when he gives these exhortations we probably tend to read them in isolation thinking about our own lives in particular but paul is referring to the entire church and here he says here's an exhortation he says bearing with one another it simply means to to put up with how's that for an exhortation paul looks at the colossian church and he says guys here's something that i i want you to do you know it might not sound very spiritual but well you know i just want you to put up with each other just endure each other you know, the truth is that human beings are the ones who make up the church. We have different classes and cultures and genders and generations that exist inside of the local church. There are odd people in the church. There are difficult people in the church. There are weak people in the church, sinful people. Uh, we all bring something to the table, however, that others must bear with. And so Paul tells them, he says, come on bear with one another and if you have a complaint against another forgiving each other as the lord has forgiven you so you also 
must forgive. Now, this is interesting because he says to bear with one another, but to forgive each other. It seems to me that the reason Paul uses those two phrases, one another and each other, is that when we're bearing with one another, it is mutual. But when we're forgiving, it's an each other kind of thing. The, the responsibility is upon me to make sure that I forgive you, regardless of what you might do in your forgiveness towards me. And so uh, he says, your basis for forgiving others is this, as the Lord has forgiven you. Now with all of these attributes, Paul includes in verse 14, an overarching attitude and something that needs to be put on above everything else. He says, verse 14, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Sort of imagine, at least I do with this language, the putting on of, he says, above all these, put on love, kind of like a garment that goes over all of the other garments, that jacket that you put on last. It's love. It's the supreme virtue. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that, you know, having a lot of different spiritual gifts, it means nothing unless you're operating in love. Love is the thing that binds Christians together, but it's also the thing, I think what Paul is saying here, that binds these different attributes together, compassionate hearts and patience. Uh, all of these attributes come together under the overarching attribute of love. It's one thing to be kind or humble or meek or patient or have a compassionate heart, but none of those attributes will last and they'll operate with an awkwardness and a stiffness and perhaps uh, a uh, an abusiveness without love being in operation. Now, in addition to love, Paul wants to encourage them in a couple of other ways as far as what to put on, what to be like as believers. Uh, keep in mind what he had said there in Colossians, the chapter three, the first few verses that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That speaks of a throne and with a throne, you have a leader, you have uh, rulership. And he says in verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. So there's this peace. It's the peace of Christ. You think of Jesus as Paul was thinking of Jesus seated and throned above, not wringing his hands, not pacing in heaven, not stressed out, but seated. It speaks of a calm authority. He's seated with God in heaven and at peace. And so he tells the, Paul tells the Colossian church and us as well to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Now we know that this is more than just the positional peace that is ours as a result of the gospel. This is something that is supposed to be experiential. That's why he tells us to let it rule in our hearts. We can't make ourselves any more saved or at peace with God positionally than we already are. But it's now time for us to experience the peace of Christ. Like the psalmists who would constantly go through the process of 
venting their frustrations and their prayers and their hearts to God only to find him comfort them and encourage them and grant them the perspective that was necessary. So the Lord says to us, let that peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So often a person will be saved from brutal, family-shattering, life-altering sin as a result of allowing peace uh, into their hearts. You know, without the peace of Christ, I've seen men and women who have done things that they never would have dreamed of doing because they were trying to dull the senses or numb the pain. We do this with lust and gluttony and laziness, you know, six-hour TV binges or adulterous relationships or overeating or whatever it might be. Uh, something that we can at times do in order to give ourselves some semblance of peace. He says, no, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And I love the word rule. It's kind of a sporting word, the kind of word that you would use to describe an umpire's lasting call. You, there's nothing you can do. An umpire says what is and what his determination is. That's the deciding Factor. The peace of Christ should be the deciding factor inside of our lives. So often we're arguing with the peace of Christ. So often we're disagreeing with the peace of Christ. And I think many people just don't want to have the peace of Christ. They are attracted to, addicted to, to stress and drama and all of that. He says, listen, you're called to these things in one body. But here's a way to cultivate the peace of Christ. He says, verse 15, and be thankful. You know, thankfulness is a wonderful way to lead your life into great peace. Great peace. You know, to be thankful means that you're content. And content people are a peaceful people. They have enough. They don't need to strive for more. This means that they do not overschedule. They do not overspend. They do not undersleep. They are thankful people, and therefore peace is a result in their lives. Now, in verse 16, he says, not only are you to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, but you're to let the word of Christ, verse 16, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So we had first there in verse 15, the peace of Christ. Here we have the word of Christ. We're to let it dwell in us richly. Now, of course, the word of Christ in one sense is synonymous with the word of God. As you're studying the Bible, you're trying to get the word of Christ inside of your life, inside of your heart. And it's, it's a word of God that is about primarily Christ. So as you study the word of God, you know you're reading and studying the word of Christ. You're learning about God the Son, the Son of God. You're getting his message and the things about him inside of your life and inside of your heart. But usually when God wants to refer to the word of God in scripture, he calls it the word of God. Why would he use in one of those rare moments the phrase the word of God? Christ. Well, I think in one sense, this is connected to our position, that Christ is seated at the right hand of God, that we're to put him on. 
uh, that we're to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. I think the word of Christ in one sense is the word that Christ speaks to us and probably more importantly about us. That we are justified, that we are redeemed, that we are forgiven, that we are reconciled, that we are adopted. You're to let his word about you be louder than anyone else's word. And we live in a culture and in a world where people are chasing left and right approval. I want people to think well of me. I want them to like my personality, my real personality, my online personality. I want them to approve of the way that I dress, the decisions that I make. I am searching for the approval of mankind. I want some other voice to speak over me good and pleasant words. Forgetting, however, that Jesus, in his word, has spoken these wonderful things over our lives. Uh, this last week, I had an opportunity to teach a group of men, and it was a training time, and I shared with them five words that I just quoted to you from the book of Romans to tell them this is what God says about you. You are justified. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. You are reconciled. You are adopted. I wanted them to know of the great and deep and wonderful position that was theirs. And like good medicine, I just wanted it to plunge deep inside of them and permeate everything that they are to sort of change the mindset. I think a lot of times Christians like to identify with some other identity besides what Jesus says about us. We like to identify with an addiction or a trauma or a sickness or a failure or a trial or a success. Listen, what we ought to connect with is, is none of that, but the word of Christ, what he says about us. We're to let that dwell in us richly. Sometimes we need to correct each other about false perspectives. That's why he says teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And sometimes we just need to respond to the Lord or stir up our hearts for the Lord and what he says about us by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So I've got bad news for you if you are the guy who just doesn't like singing to the Lord. This is biblical. It's what we're called to do. And then again, that thankfulness theme with thankfulness, he says in verse 16, in your hearts to God. Now verse 17, our final verse today, he says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now verse 15, 16, and 17 are a little bit of a a trinity or a three-pack is probably a better phrase for it. Uh, we know that because each one of them ends with this idea of thankfulness, giving thanks to God, thankfulness in your hearts to God, and be thankful. So we know that each of these exhortations goes together. The first one, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The second one, and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Here's the third one in verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. The first two, it was peace of Christ, word of Christ. But here it's do everything in the name of not Christ, but the Lord Jesus. Why would he say, in it, say it in that way? Well, 
I think that part of the reason he would say it in that way is because one of the things that you get from Jesus being seated at the right hand of God is you get a Lord, an authoritative Lord of your life who enables every single thing that you do in this life or I do in this life to be done in his name for his reputation. The way that I eat, the way that I exercise, the way that I play with my children, the way that I speak to my wife, the way that I talk on the phone, the way that I make friendships, the way that I go to church, the way that I read the Bible, all of it can be done in a way that brings honor and glory to him. We're to do everything in word or deed in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thankful for this Lord who is ours in heaven. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.